The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! I feel like social media is like a video game I beat like fucking eight years ago and I'm like everybody's playing the same game I'm like tired of playing it like I mean I've had so many people tell me how fucking great I am on the internet they don't know me and I've had so many people tell me what a fucking scumbag you can't walk down the fame road and worry about what people think about you if you do you're literally gonna go insane I didn't give a fuck. As long as I had the money, I didn't give a shit because I didn't want to listen to people's bullshit. I didn't want to have to fucking ever like follow people's rules. I want to do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And I know I needed money to do that. And so I was willing to do whatever the fuck I had to do to get the money. And that's what I did. You know, like I just, I did what I came to do with social media. Like you have to understand, I've been doing something that I feel like I've already done for a while. Like I'm just like ready to like climb something new, do something new because I've already done it. Boy, oh boy, am I excited for this episode. (laughs) Mainly because I love interviews with people who aren't censored because of political correctness. And Dan Bulzerian is definitely not censored. In fact, he is someone who speaks his mind on every single occasion. I know this because I was served his book on Amazon. I am a big, big reader. I love reading biographies, autobiographies, and Amazon served me his book. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to download this. I've heard so many like rumors and stories about him. And I want to hear the story from him because that's how I like to live my life. I don't like to just base my opinions off rumors. I like to actually go to the person and have a conversation with them and see where they're coming from, even if I don't agree with every single thing on the planet that they think. So today, Dan is on the podcast. We are going to discuss pleasure versus happiness, fulfillment, resilience, how to be successful, how to find drive, how to set up and systemize your life, marriage, gambling. And let me tell you, this guy knows how to gamble. And what do you have kids? You may know him from his Instagram. If you don't, I would suggest going to check out his Instagram because you can really go deep in this Instagram, okay? There's a lot going on. And here's the deal. I loved his book. I could not put it down. I thought it was funny. I was literally laughing out loud in the middle of the night when Michael was sleeping, particularly in the part where him and his friends shoved steroids up their ass to cross the border. That was a good story. It was just honest and it was vulnerable and raw. And I read so many autobiographies. I know a lot of them are fluff, meaning they have a ghostwriter. They're not really telling you the full truth. They're only giving you like 50%. And Dan gives you the full thing. Okay. He he tells you every single thing that you could possibly want to know. And I just feel like so many people look at the image of Dan and not the reason behind it. I find this to be incredibly refreshing in a time where everyone is afraid to be themselves. I really liked meeting him in person. I enjoyed him. I thought he was funny. I thought he was sharp. I thought he was intelligent. And I thought he was purposeful with intention. I think that this interview will surprise a lot of people who have prejudged him. He 
was honestly so sweet. So sweet that he invited Michael and I to dinner and we got to see his specific protocol that his chef makes him. I will put that up on my TikTok. I filmed it. He also showed us his cold plunge, his sauna, his house. We got like a wellness tour and he could not have been nicer. So don't judge a book by its cover because you might be surprised. When I got his book, I thought it was really cool because the foreword is by David Goggins. The book is on Amazon. It's called The Setup. And also in the book is a bunch of different people's perspectives on Dan. One of them being Molly from Molly's Game. She's been on this show. Her episode was fucking amazing. Go listen to it if you haven't. But Dan was a part of Molly's Game, her poker game. So there's just like so many good stories in this book. You will not put it down. I've had a lot of you message me that you've read it and you're just like, oh my God, there's so many crazy stories and photos. For me, this is one of my favorite kind of interviews to do because there's like no PR in the room. No one's closed off. He's open and he's ready to give you the raw, sexy details. On that note, let's welcome Dan Bolzerian, a venture capitalist that has carved out a name for himself as a high stakes professional poker champion. He's an adrenaline seeker, a writer. Go buy his book. It's really good. Could not recommend it enough if you want to laugh your ass off. He is an Instagram sensation. Just go look. And he's had a crazy wild life. Dan, welcome to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast. This is the Skinny Confidential Him and Her. Dan Bolzarian, welcome to the show. I don't know if we've prepped more I'm not yanking your chain here. We've done like 700 of these. I don't know if we've prepped more for an interview than we did for this one. And I think it's because we watch so much of your stuff leading up to this. And we feel, I don't want to knock anybody else, but we feel like people always jump to the end with you. And they always get to the girls and the money and all the stuff, but they don't get to the why. And you've done some pretty wild shit. And I was, I was reading your book. I'm like, this is an extremely vulnerable book. Like you, you really kind of laid it all out there. And I know you wrote the whole thing by yourself. Yeah, I tried to write it like a diary, you know, like kind of that's that was like the framework of it is like, like how I would tell the story if I never wanted anybody to find this motherfucker, you know, <laughs> like I felt like there was so much like braggy stuff that, that I had to talk about that I was going to talk about that if I didn't tell it with like an honest, vulnerable tone, I felt like it would just come off wrong. And in fact, I had the book written before. So have you heard of, um, Tucker Max, hope sure. you're a beer now. Sure. So he, th that guy that wrote that, Ghost wrote my first book. And it was funny because his stories weren't that interesting, but he told them really well. So I thought he'd be good for my book, but it was just like a really braggadocious tone. And I felt like the things that I had done and the stories kind of like were crazy enough that I wanted to err on the side of like downplaying them as opposed to just like beat my chest, talk about how great I am. And so, yeah, I try to focus on the book on, you know, the embarrassing things, the struggles, the failures, shit like that. Cause I just feel like that's just more interesting. You know, that's, that's what I would want to read about if I read a celebrity's book, not all the fucking great shit that every motherfucker knows it's been in the news that he's posted on Instagram. I'd want to hear about the stuff that he didn't want me to know, you know? So that's kind of like how I tried to write the book. 
Lauren started reading it first and she's like, hey, you got to read this book because she reads a ton of celebrity memoirs and biographies. She's like, this one's different. It's open. It's vulnerable. Like you really like, I mean, you share a lot of shit in there. How, how did you come across? Just Because we never really talked about this. I got this DM from you. That was <laughs> I thought you were fucking with me at first, but then like, how did you come across my book? Like what was kind of like? I read so many books. I'm like a huge reader and Amazon served me your book and also served me Andrew Tate's book downloaded that tell us you, what other kind of stuff are you looking at Lauren? it's not it's not his book it's written it's someone else yeah someone yeah. wrote something for him and it served me your book and i was like huh this looks really interesting and the second i started reading it i was like oh my god this is and i told michael i'm like you have to read this book i called all my guy friends who are having trouble with women and i'm like you guys need to read this book you're too eager I'm like, you guys need to literally, I highlighted shit for them and was texting them because they get too like hungry tiger and then the girls turned off. So I, I just thought the advice, it was vulnerable. It was real. It was honest. I loved it. Could not put it down. But I want to go back to the beginning with you. Okay. So talk to us about when you're driving in the car to school with your dad. You've told all your friends at school that your father is not going to jail. There's a rumor. Yeah, it's like front page news that he's going to jail. And my dad tells me like, there's no chance. It's not going to happen. So I'm like adamantly defending that it's not going to happen. Meanwhile, like everybody else is reading the newspaper. Their parents are telling them. And so, yeah, when I was going into school and he just like laid it on me about two minutes before I had to get out for class, it was, it was like that was probably one of the hardest things and not necessarily because he was going to jokes. I didn't really see him a ton anyways. It was more just like, I was going to look like such a fucking idiot. Cause like for the last year I would told people that he wasn't, that was one of the harder, harder things I had to do. I would say that was, and, and I was young too. I was like 10 or 11. And so I think what other people think about you is much more important back then. And so that was rough. That was like probably one of the, roughest things aside from you know getting videotaped jerking off well, we're gonna talk i mean what i we have two young kids and i was talking to lauren i'm like you know i was thinking about our own son and i'm like for any 10 year old that's got to be extremely traumatic and not to mention after that i think in your book you said he actually had you go to school right after that yeah like two minutes later it was like that's okay you're late for class it's like fuck and how did people know that he was potentially going to, was this in the news and people knew? Yeah, it was, it was like front page news. Like he was, he was a big corporate raider and it, so it was like a big thing that he was going to jail. So all the kids were, were kind of teasing you about it, saying your dad's going to jail, which is brutal because yeah. kids are brutal. And so you're defending your dad saying there's no way because he's telling you there's no way and then it happens. So not only do you have to deal with the trauma of your dad going away, but you have to deal with all the kids then ripping on you because. Which was definitely worse, I uh, think, you know, like. Looking back, you know, you'd think that your dad going to jail would probably be worse, but having to like get bullied all the time and and then just like the constant reminder from everybody else. And then also that you look like, an, you know, it's like all compounded into like one big shit sandwich that I had to eat all at once, you know? So, <laughs> Have you ever talked to your dad about why he decided to tell you at that moment? I mean, he's just got unrealistic optimism is the way I would put it. And so he really thought that he was going to win this appeal. And, you know, technically what he did wasn't a big deal. Like everybody else is doing it. They just decided to make an example out of him. He thought he was going to win. Like he just, you know, he believed in, you know, justice and this and that. And, you know, like he's a veteran and patriot and 
I don't know. So what does your life look like after that when you're a kid and you're that young and your dad goes away and people are bullying you? It didn't change that much. They were bullying me before. <laughs> you know, it just got a little bit worse. I didn't see my dad a ton, so I wouldn't say that. I mean, it was obviously like fucked up going to like visit your dad in jail and whatever, but it, the bullying was definitely worse than you know, not seeing my dad that much for a year. You know, well, so. I think a lot of young men and women look at you now and they would, you wouldn't be the poster child at this point in your life of bullying. And I don't, <laughs> I don't, when I was reading the book and I'm, I'm again, like it was, I don't think people have seen that side of you where it's like, I don't care how old you are when, when you have older guys. Cause I, I, I was a victim of that when I was a kid, but they have older guys picking on you and other kids in the class picking on you. Like it's really hard to develop self-esteem and obviously you've done so much since I'm wondering how you started to kind of like overcome that. You know, I talk about this a bit, you know, I think your hardest struggles are what actually makes you strong and builds character. I've seen it a lot where people have had it super easy. Things haven't been tough they just never really like grow that backbone. Like most people that I know that are like super hard dudes, you know, like David Goggins, he did the forward. He's considered, you know, one of the hardest guys on the planet, does all these crazy ultra things. And, you know, and he got bullied, right? Like, so, so I think, you know, when he had, a, and he had a shitty pass and he had failures and he had things that he was insecure about. And so I think you've got two choices when you've got insecurities and when you've got hardships and this and that, you can turn to this victim mentality, which seems to be like, you know, the, the newest craze, right? It's like, how many victim groups can we be a part of? And how much of a voice does that fucking give us, right? This is nonsense. Or you can use it to like, you know, make you stronger and give you that drive and give you that perseverance. You know, like I didn't graduate SEAL training, but I did probably more SEAL training than like almost any Navy SEAL. And I never quit. And I did two hell weeks and finished two hell weeks, two winter hell weeks. And it wasn't because I was tougher than the other guys. I mean, fuck, the first time I went through, I had stress fractures. I mean, it was like horrible, but I just wanted it really bad, you know? And that's like true of a lot of things in life. Like it's more important that you really, really want something than that you're tough or what. Cause like nobody's really born tough. Like, yeah, sure. Some babies are bigger pussies than others and whatever. Like, but like <laughs> you become tough because like you persevere and you continue to do something or you just really want something fucking bad because like you know everybody fails like every fucking champion every like great fighter or whatever like they all have failures it's just you know some of them choose to use that as like drive to like you know continue to fucking train you know at fucking 11 o'clock at night when everybody else is you know watching tv and you know, some of them just kind of like chalk it up. It's like, okay, well, I'm just not tough enough and quit, you know? So it's like, you can go one of two directions, but I think your adversities are what give you that fuel to, you know, become confident or become, you know, successful or whatever the fuck it is that you want to go after. What do your bullies say now to you? Do you, do you have you ever like run into one <laughs> or have they ever messaged you on Instagram? I, you know, I wouldn't even recognize because they were like 10, 11. Yeah. I don't, I don't think about it anymore. You know, it doesn't you, you bother moved me. On. Well, yeah, like I, <laughs> it was evolved. like at the time it sucked, but you understand. Like I went to seven fucking schools in five years, right? Like I didn't. That's I crazy got, in itself, too. Yeah, like I got thrown in jail my senior year. Like I've had like a pretty like rocky road for you know a fucking rich trust fund kid that you know had everything given to him according to you know the fucking mainstream media. So you know, for me, I I think I had a tough childhood where there are things that were good. Yeah, for sure. Like. I think also by growing up with wealth, it's actually a lot harder 
because you're used to like nice shit. But also the bars set really high for you, right? You're always going to Well, that's what I'm saying. You're like used to this, right? And like when I got, you know, thrown in jail, when I joined the military, like my parents weren't like sending me checks and shit. So like I was used to this and now I had to like live at like this. I think I was getting like 800 bucks a month to start off in the military. Having that perspective is actually like a negative. Like having those things and then not having them is definitely a negative. Like for instance, if I were to give you a Ferrari at 16, like whatever your next car is going to be after you graduate college is probably going to be a letdown. Versus if I had given you a Pinto, like any car would like make you happy. You're like the same guy. You're fucking 22. Like nothing's changing your life. The only difference is like what you had before. If you had a fucking really nice car before, whatever you get here is probably not going to make you happy. If you had a really shitty car, whatever you had here is, you know, probably going to make you like super stoked or not. First one's not going to make you happy. Second one's going to make you super stoked. Right? Like, so I think people look at it as like being a leg up and it is if your parents like continue to just give you money and shit and you never have to fucking work then yeah it's great leg up i mean it's not great like you don't develop any kind of toughness you don't really develop a confidence or like a sense that like you did it but your life is easier but if you had it and then lost it that's like the worst like being rich and then going to poor is fucking way worse than like you know what it's like exactly than never having money at all you know that's like the biggest fucking curse what do you think that your parents did really right with you when you were little? Like, if you look back, you're obviously a very confident person. What are some of the things that they they did that you can pinpoint that really made a difference in how you've turned out? It's hard to say because I had kind of like absentee parenting, to be totally honest. And it's funny because, I don't know, maybe that was a good thing. I mean, you never really know. That's the whole thing of it, right? You don't know what was good or what was bad until like later on in your life. Like so many things that I thought were like the worst thing that ever could have happened to me turned out to be blessings in disguise, right? So, you know, I, my parents were definitely not like what I would consider great parents. I mean, my mom was sweet and she was nice, but like they didn't really like teach me a bunch. I think I could have definitely like benefited from some better, better parenting, but Fuck, who knows? You know, maybe the fact that I had to go learn shit on my own and fucking have all these failures helped me. I, you know, so I don't, you know, it's like just hard to say because little things could throw your trajectory totally off. So, you know, getting kicked out of SEAL training, I thought at the time was the worst fucking thing that could ever happen to me. But because of that, the timing, I hit poker at the right time, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, why did they, I, I was reading about the SEAL training and you, you did obviously a lot of it. Why do you think they wanted you out so bad? Lauren and Irene are like, oh, this dude's hacking the system. You were like figuring out ways to optimize getting through the training, which I thought was super smart. But what do you think the reason that they wanted you out was? Well, the first time I was a total piece of shit. I had like stress fractures. They didn't know that. I wasn't, I'd never ran more than two miles. I was 18 years old. Like I was fucking showing up late to shit. I was failing runs. I was just like a fucking soup sandwich, like terrible. And so, I mean, I'm sure they had a million reasons not to like me the first time, right? The second time I had already finished Hell Week the first time. So I came through, I was had a lot more confidence. I was actually in decent shape. I've been working out. I'd, you know, been running. And so I came in there and my goal was just to graduate. And I thought if I just passed all my stuff and, you know, didn't quit and whatever, that they, you know, I could fuck up, they could beat my ass, see, they could not like me, but I didn't think they could actually like admin drop me. So I guess my attitude probably didn't come across as good because like the second time I went through, I just like, I was like, fuck it. I'm like, I'm here to graduate. You know, I don't know. How intense is that training actually? 
of all the things you've done, obviously a lot of different things. Like when you, if you were going to rate, like, is it as hard as people say, or is it like, hey, I can your breeze. book and David Goggins' book scared the shit out of me when you guys talk about Hell Week. That sounds horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it was definitely one of the things in my life that I would say was a lot worse than I expected it to be, and I expected it to be pretty fucking bad. So I would I would say that I would probably be like a ten out of ten as far as like shitty. I mean, maybe barring like Auschwitz or something, which I haven't experienced, but like, you know, I don't know. I, I would say it's probably as you know, as difficult as it possibly could. And you you learn that you're capable of just way more than what you think that you are because, and I'm not talking about in regular training, like bench press, like just because you think you can go bench 500, you can't. But like with running, I could probably go run 50 miles right now. You know what I mean? It's just like, you just start running and you don't fucking stop. Just like when I did the bike bet from uh, here to LA, like every cyclist other than Lance Armstrong told me it was physically impossible. It was like, oh, I just fucking kept going and didn't quit. And I got there like, and I did it with like 18 hours to spare. So like, I don't know. I don't think people understand what they're capable of because most people don't test themselves. One of the smartest things that you said too, is you said, instead of looking at it like the whole week or the, you have this extended amount of period of time, you would just take it like little chunks. So you would say, okay, I just need to get to lunch. Yeah. And, and, and that's true with like ice baths too, or like anything you just like, and, and with ice baths, it goes to like way down. It's like, we're going to get through 30 seconds. We're going to get through a minute or like what, even if I'm, if I'm ripping a five or 10 minute or it's like, okay, a beast in the ice bath. Yeah. I go in there, but like my focus is like, okay, I'm just going to do a minute. And it's like, we'll, you know, do another minute and then another, you know what I mean? Like, I don't look at it. Like I'm going to go in there and rip 10 minutes because mentally that's, you know, just, just more difficult. So like, why add any more strain? Cause when I go in there, my goal is to like, you know, relax, get my heart rate as low as possible, get the, you know, blood flow to, you know, change. And, 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 and the more calm you are actually the better. So I try and go in there with, you know, the most relaxed mindset possible. And if I go in there and just figure I'm just going to do a minute, I'm as fucking relaxed as you can be. As I go through, there's moments in your book where you have things like, you know, you're talking about going through hell week with like basically broken legs and all this pain you're enduring. But then I find it interesting at the end, and this is a quote from you said, of all the pain I endured, all the hell instructors gave me the CEO simply not acknowledging me hurt the most. And I found that interesting. Like, why do you, why did you feel that way at the end? I guess I like really expect, because basically the medical officer dropped me the first day I showed up and he's like, you can't train on broken legs. Like there's no way. And so they were going to send me to a ship and I would have to wait two years. So I figured, well, fuck it. I got nothing to lose. So I requested to talk to the captain of the base, which is like a huge slap in the face to like every single fucking guy in the chain of command. Right. It's basically going over their head. It's like you tell them, you know, it's like the Karen version of like, I want to talk to the manager, but like in the military, like basically a big fuck you on top of it. Right. So, but what what did I have to lose? So, you know, I went, I went and talked to him and he, allowed me to train and so i figured like okay this guy knows i've broken legs like he knows i'm not supposed to train and like here i've made it through hell week you know it was like one of 17 guys in a class of you know 100 and something that started and i just figured like he would have like you know shake shook my hand like you know good job nothing right so i think that was the first glimpse into like managing expectations and I would say that I like definitely took it too far later in my life, especially with the poker and like muting my emotions and not allowing myself to be happy from somebody that like up until that point never really had much of like a, you know, attaboy or pat on the back or anything like that. That would have meant a lot to me if he would have said something, but it's like a fa- father figure in a way. I mean, yeah, it was just like a point of authority that I, you know, he knew I was struggling. Like I just, I don't know. I expected it, but that was like just me looking through life in my lens. Like for him, what does he give a fuck? You know, there's like a million trainees that come through here. Like, doesn't mean I'm going to graduate. Like, I don't know. I, he didn't care. And 
you know, whatever. It's that's his prerogative. It's not like he's a fucking bad guy for not caring. I'm just saying, like, in my mind, you know, looking through my lens, what I had accomplished was like the craziest thing I had ever accomplished. And I did it with fucking stress fractures. And so I felt like I deserved like a, you know, pat on the back and I didn't get a good, good job. Yeah. So like, whatever, you know, me being a bitch, but (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. That was like, you know, one of the things I was like, it was tough. And I was like, went to the hotel room by myself and I'm in there and I don't know. I didn't really have a lot of friends at the time. And it was just, yeah, I just felt like there's some like melancholy. Yeah. I just felt like I had just like won the lottery, but I was like the last person on earth. You know what I mean? Like, what is it, you know, kind of like doesn't matter, like nobody cares. Do you think that the reason that there was kind of a hostility towards you or kind of like almost a dismissiveness because they they were like, oh, this guy is just a trust fund kid, even though that's not what you were. But like they just kind of like labeled you I in just, the military. Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody knew anything. No, I was just like under the radar. And I, yeah, like, yeah, nobody had a clue. I, I didn't like talk about my background. Or, Nothing. Like, yeah. And there, this is before social media. There's no internet back then. So there was like, yeah, no, nobody knew me from anybody. So. What is that like to go through all that training and not even get like get to get to sort of like the finish line? Well, I was one day before graduation. I, that's <laughs> so crazy. Like, you can't get closer. Like I, you know, I just felt like I could really like. What's the total it. time? I did 510 days of training and it's supposed to be Holy a six month course. So, so it's, it's like two years of your life. Yeah. How I mean, did you meet time. David Goggins? Was this in the military? Because I didn't, I didn't no. catch in the book where you said you met him. It's kind of a funny story. I was at the Ferrari dealership in the wind looking at cars and he walked in there and I had like seen his shit on YouTube. This is before anybody knew who the fuck this guy was. He was, wasn't a legend, like none of this shit. I just seen like, I was really into fitness, really into the shit. And like, I just seen this guy had run further than a suburban could go on a full tank of gas. And I was just like, this dude's a fucking beast. You know, so I went up to him and just like shook his hand, you know, and that was like, you know, introduced myself and that was pretty much it. I mean, obviously he didn't remember that. And then flash forward, I don't know, fuck, what was it? 2018, 16, I don't fucking know. Like a long time later, I'm now famous. I'm at a UFC thing. I see him over there. And I like gave him a nod or something. I think he was sitting next to Joe Rogan or yeah, he's sitting next to Joe and Joe's like, Oh, you know who that is? And he's like, no, who's that? And I guess Joe told him who I was or something. And then he like came up to me, which was really like strange for me. You know, we just talked and you know, I don't know. I think we exchanged numbers. I don't know. But anyways, COVID happened. I think, I think he hit me up for some weird reason or something. Or I hit it. I forget how it initiated, but I offered to let him use my gym, and we were just working out, lifting weights together. I decided, you know, he kept talking about his book, and I hadn't read a fucking book in forever. But I was like, okay, I read this fucking guy's book. So I read his book. I actually thought it was pretty good, and he told me he had made like thirty million fucking dollars writing this book. And I was Oof. like, I was like, that's crazy, man. And it, like the story was, to me, like very similar to mine in a sense of like you know, shitty childhood and fucking go in the military and have a bunch of failures and, you know, go through SEAL training. He graduated. I didn't. But like, aside from that, it was like a somewhat similar tale. I had my success in other areas and I felt like I also had the fame piece and the girl piece. And there was a lot of things that I felt like my story had that I thought would appeal to a lot of guys and they would find interesting. And this was kind of like after I had done it all, this is like an 2020 right i'd like done all the shit that i really set out to do 
And so I was like, when I, and I tried to write the book in 16, I'd like basically like written it with the ghostwriter. I just didn't like his voice. So I shelved it. I was like, okay, you know what? Like, fuck it. I'm just going to write this goddamn thing myself. I thought he had written it himself. Like he did like what almost every single fucking normal human being does. And they get a ghostwriter to like help him out. But I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to take this motherfucker on and just fully write the entire goddamn book myself. And so I did, you know, it was COVID. It was perfect time. Didn't really have shit going on. And it does read like a diary. So after you get done with the military, you go to college and that's when you started to get laid. Correct? Because yeah. I would love for you to talk about how it sounds to me that you didn't really get laid in high school. Well, I mean, I did lose my virginity at 13 to a Mexican hooker. <laughs> That's not much to brag about. Um, and then I think I didn't have sex for probably like an entire year, maybe two after that. I dated one a couple girls, like nothing really to speak of, you know, like, I, I mean, I had sex, but it wasn't anything to brag about. I wasn't a stud like. I had probably like 500 rejections for every like, yes, you know. <laughs> so what was the, dis like what happened in college that changed that? I was in good shape. I'd been hanging out with a bunch of fucking studs and I'm four years old than, you know, most of the kids. Well, I mean, I was like a senior. So I came in at the age of a senior, 22. I had money. I'd been through like fucking literal hell and back. I just had a different attitude. Like for me, like, I was I was like kind of like nervous to talk to a hot girl still because I didn't really have a ton of experience. I didn't like to fuck up, but like I don't know what does it really matter, you know? So I just had this approach, this this like approach where I would just literally go to every single girl that I found attractive and have a conversation with her, like anywhere. I mean, this is in the fucking library, grocery store, like anywhere. So it just became like a numbers thing. Yeah, well, I just like wanted to get comfortable talking to girls, and so for me, I'm like one of these guys where like if I have a focus, I'm going to the end of the fucking earth with this thing, and I just like I don't know. This is how. I mean, I guess like you know, doing the SEAL training thing, obviously, like, I mean, if you can do that for 510 days, you can talk to girls in college. <laughs> so I, yeah, I just go talk to every fucking girl that I saw. And, you know, I, and it was just crazy. We would have these frat parties. And like I talked about in the book, there was like this crazy ratio of 10 girls for every guy. And so dudes that like literally in a million years, never would have gotten laid in San Diego. We're having threesomes with hot girls, you know? And like, because the ratio was so high. It's like 10 girls. Yeah, the yeah. girls had to fight for a guy, you know? And these girls are all like horny, drunk girls that just moved out of the house and wanted to get laid. And my fraternity was like a bunch of like athletes on steroids. So everybody's like in good shape and just like, you know, like cool guys and whatever. And like, it was just easy. And like these guys, a lot of these guys had literally no game. Like some of them were fucking drooling on themselves, getting blowjobs, like literally couldn't even <laughs> speak, you know? like. And I just witnessed this and I was just like, wow, like this ratio is so important. And this like setup, this like environment is so important. And because I'm like, I'm the same guy. I wasn't getting pussy fucking six months ago in San Diego to save my life. Right. I had a beamer. I thought I was in good shape, you know, whatever. But like they didn't, they looked at me like a fucking loser. I feel like in a way, as you look at your life, you're able to like kind of analyze what's going around and understand systems that should be in place to optimize what you're doing. Does that make sense? Like I'm, I'm like trying to like read between them. Like what is the like main takeaway if you wanted to optimize your life? And I feel like you just see angles. Well, I figure out what I want and then I like study intensively on how to get it. So I put more effort into the plan and the system and then most people do. I think a lot of people look micro and they're like, okay, what do I want? 
I look micro, figure out what I want, and then I pull back macro. I'm like, okay, how do we get there? Like, what are the resources? What do we have? Like, what can we do? I mean, and so that's kind of like one of the reasons I'm like doing this website to help these guys. I feel like guys nowadays just like have no ability to get laid. And <laughs> it's, it's really bad. It's like really, really bad. Like 1% of guys are getting all the girls and the other 99%, it's just terrible. And it's not they're bad guys. It's just like they just don't have the experience and then that leads to insecurity and then it snowballs and whatever. Because like if you go back in the 50s, like we're, we're not, we haven't evolved in 50, 60 years that much, right? Or 60s, 70s, whatever. Like everybody was getting like a proportionate amount of girls. Like everybody's in decent shape. Now you're either like fat as fuck or you're super fucking jacked, like, you know, for guys, or you're like getting like no girls, or you're getting all the girls. It's like this massive disparity and there's not much middle ground where there used to be much more of a middle ground. And I feel like we're all kind of like at fault for this and social media plays a big role. And I feel like women are just much, much more unrealistic about what they like deserve or what they should get or whatever versus like when you're in a small town, you're looking at like whatever the other 50,000 people are and you're comparing yourself. To, there's only one fucking high school stud quarterback, right? Like, but if you compare yourself to 8 billion fucking people, right? And like, those are the standards that you're like setting versus like who, you know, your town, like you're going to start setting these unrealistic expectations. So the women just like expect this and, you know, obviously like nobody's going to live up to like the best in all these categories. I don't give a fuck who you are. Right. So most men like, nowadays it seems like they've just almost given up and that's kind of like a sad place to be where like the majority of guys seem to just like have given up there's a little bit of a desperate energy coming well, from that's people. what happens when like it's like it, that's what i'm saying it's a snowball effect like yeah you you have a positive relationship a girl likes you back you have sex with her you suck at first you get better at it like confidence improves like all of a sudden her friend wants to bang you confidence improves like things <laughs> happen right like you know you go down the road and eventually like you develop more confidence through your experience and this and that but like if your alternative is like oh this girl shot me down i'm gonna go smoke weed jerk off and play video games and that becomes your default setting then like where the fuck are you in a year if you do that for one year now you're a year out of the game like you're less confident you're fucking in worse shape you're fucking probably ADD is firing through the fucking roof. Your dopamine receptors are fucking saturated. It's like, where are you at? Right. And it's like, it gets progressively worse and worse. Like at what point do these guys just give up? Cause like after two years, what's two years and one more day of not having sex, right? Like it gets to a point where, and so, yeah, you just have a whole bunch of the society that's basically withdrawn from the game. I think that they are addicted to being comfortable too. Like, it sounds like yeah. you put yourself in college and you had already been so uncomfortable. So you're like, what's like hitting on a bunch of girls? I'm just going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to go to the library. A lot of the guys, they just get so comfortable, like what you're saying in it, that what is one more day? People in general nowadays are addicted to comfort. And, and this is true across the board. Like people have become addicted to comfort. And then the, so they become slaves. They become slaves to this like comfort lifestyle. And so if you don't, make yourself suffer even a little bit that's why like these ice baths have become like such a good trend is because it's like it's forcing you to suffer even if for like a few minutes out of the day it's like that's better than nothing and like through that suffering you get an instant reward that's why it's like such a good thing to recommend to people is because it's like it's pretty extreme suffering for a very short period of time and then you get this massive dopamine hit and this immediate benefit and because it was like so shitty for three minutes or five minutes or whatever the fuck you sat in there for then when you get out you feel so much better that you're not suffering it's like that perspective right like 
if your whole life is comfort, you're just kind of like, yeah. And people but have been like, told the wrong thing. They've been told that like winning in life is eventually retiring and being comfortable. And you, again, you just become complacent and you just become weaker and you just get worse and worse. Yeah. I think winning in life is doing something that you like that also benefits other people that you enjoy. Like if you can figure out like something, it doesn't have to be a job, whatever that like you're helping other people out, you're, you're enjoying it and you're making money at it. It's kind of like, that's like the trifecta of to me success. And I think that leads to happiness, right? I think a lot of people are like chasing pleasure, confusing pleasure with happiness. And that's one of the things I touched on in the book is like the difference between pleasure and happiness. And I think there is like a big disparity that people don't realize. I want to talk about that in a second, but I, I want to go back a little bit more with the gambling stuff because I think people, again, they'll look at you and you played into this and you talk about it. They'll label you as a trust fund kid that just won a bunch of money in poker. And I don't think people realize if they haven't played poker and they haven't gambled like that, how stressful that is in itself. You're literally gambling people's you know yearly salary or more. You it, said you were losing your hair. Yeah. Like wow. the stress. It was like literal, like massive stress. You know, you're playing for millions of fucking dollars. Like you're sitting across from a billionaire that like really doesn't value money that much. And if he says all in, I have to make a decision for 18 million bucks. It's like, that's just stressful. I wasn't that fucking rich at the time to be just like lighting 18 million bucks on fire. So it's like at any point in this 12, 14 hour session, however fucking long we played, like I got to make that decision right there on the spot. And I can't look like, you know, it's like a crazy amount of money to me. You know what I mean? I've got like all these things. In the morning, one of the first things that I do after I open the shades and make the bed is hydrate. And I am serious about my hydration. Like I don't screw around. I have a very specific formula to how I hydrate. So I do a huge water with tons of ice and I put my Saqqara beauty drops in. So it's like minerals. And then sometimes I'll also add their chlorophyll. They're the detox drops. And then I'll add lemon, sometimes lime juice. I'm really about the lime juice right now because it's really hydrating. And sometimes I'll even add like a hydrogen drop, but I'll really make the water like a full experience. And then I'll take a walk. If you have not tried these Saqqara drops, you are missing out. They are my go-to every single morning. I travel with them. I pack them. They're just like these amazing wellness drops that make your water better and more optimized, if you will. If you're unfamiliar with Saqqara, well, Saqqara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. So I get my drops delivered right to my door. And you could also get ready to eat meals. They're nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management to easing bloat to boosting energy and clearer skin. They just have an incredible situation happening on their website. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash skinny or enter code skinny at checkout. Go get those drops. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash skinny. You get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash skinny. Quick break to talk about Athletic Greens. Regular listeners of this show must be living under a rock with their ears plugged if they haven't yet started taking Athletic Greens, also known as AG1. We have been talking about AG1 for years now, and we aren't the only ones. For those that are still unfamiliar with Athletic Greens, let me break it all down for you. 
Athletic Greens is your one-stop shop for everything you need to start your day right. It's the green powder of green powder. Simply take a single scoop of Athletic Greens in the morning with a large glass of water to get your daily multivitamins, your prebiotics, your probiotics, your adaptogens, and your minerals, all packed into one scoop of delicious green powder. Lauren and I take Athletic Greens every single day. We take it when we are at home and when we are traveling. It's an absolute game changer for us. We have noticed more energy, more focus, better skin, no more dark under eye circles. We just feel better. It's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver benefits like mood, immune system, and sleep support, sustained energy, and so much more. Something else I love about AG1 is that it is delivered monthly. It shows up right to my front door, so I never have to worry about it running out. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com skinny. That's athleticgreens.com skinny. So again, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com skinny. That's athleticgreens.com skinny. Check it out. The Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. We've had so many high performers on this show talking about multiple facets of life and how they find performance, longevity, health, wellness to live happy, productive lives. And in that toolbox, for many of these high performers, if not most of them, is therapy. The problem is therapy has not always been accessible to everybody. You have to go find a doctor. You have to drive to an office. And sometimes it can be really expensive. Why I love this platform so much is you can do this all from the comfort of your own home, which means you're already in a comfortable state of mind. You're already in a comfortable place and you can find the therapist that's right for you. Using this platform, BetterHelp is all online directly from your home. Anyone that's interested in therapy, sharing their thoughts, sharing their feelings, talking through an issue, really just working through any kind of problem or dilemma in their lives. This is an amazing platform to get started with therapy right away like I said, from the comfort of your own home. So therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash skinny today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash skinny. Visit betterhelp.com slash skinny. Check it out. Can you talk about how you initially got in? And again, we have a mutual friend in Molly and obviously she talked about you playing your games. And basically what she said is like everyone had you pegged as the daddy rich kid with the trust fund and so they were kind of they didn't realize that you actually knew what you were doing and how to play is that where you first started kind of taking off in that world because i I know later you got with ag but when you first started building your kind of bankroll there no i had built it before in order to get into her game you had to have some like real money her game was no joke but i had established this image and i leaned into it you know that was a big part of it and and but that's part of poker is like understanding how people perceive you and you know, extracting value from that, right? Like, do they look at you like a guy that is scared to bluff? If so, you should probably bluff more. I was not that guy. I was the guy that they thought was bluffing all the fucking time. So I actually had to like tighten up later on. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't make crazy bluffs against fucking rich guys because they would just call and not wonder. They would want to sleep good at night knowing this fucking asshole didn't bluff them. 
But that was good for me because then when I had big hands, I could just like literally stick all the money in the pot and get paid off in spots where other pros never would have got paid off. So like you have to understand like the different levels of thinking too. It's just like, you know, it's not just about that. It's like, what does he think that I think that he has? And you know what I mean? There's like different levels to the thought process. Like on the surface, poker seems like a very simplistic game, right? But you like actually get in and dive in and start playing. Like you start to understand like there's the meta of the poker there's the meta of the people. There is like the the energy of the table. Like when, you know, people are losing, how do they play? When they're winning, how do they, you know what I mean? Like you have to understand that. You have to evaluate people's net worth. You have to evaluate like just so many things, right? So you're just like a constant like psychology fucking professor at this table, like try, like running experiments, trying to figure shit out. Like, and it really forces you to like understand like predict people's actions. Like, why is this guy doing this? Like, how is he going to play when he like, cause there's, it's not just about how much money they have. Like, so there's rich guys that like literally have zero value for the dollar. And there's rich guys that like would fucking pick up every fucking penny if it meant throwing their fucking back out. You know what I mean? So like, it just depends. So you have to figure out the person and then figure out how they react to pain. Like, you know, if this person's put in an uncomfortable situation or he starts losing, like, is he going to start, you know, fucking bluffing a ton? Is he going to go, wheels going to come off the wagon? Is he going to tighten up? Is he just going to call a bunch and try and get lucky? Like, how does he react to these situations? For a poker player, really where you want to be is where I ended up at, which was people just thought I was full of shit. And so I could just play tighter and get paid off on my big hands. That reduces the variance dramatically. If you're trying to get bluffs through, like, it works till it doesn't, you know, and it's like you're risking, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're risking fucking two million bucks to win three million bucks or whatever versus like when you have a good hand, you just try and get all the fucking money in the pot. And you can't lose. The variance goes down like somebody could just be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to call him or he could, you know, have a good hand like your reads are never going to be perfect, right? Like some guy could just be like successfully slow playing a good hand or he could have like backed into something or you know, shit happens. But like when you're value betting hands, it's much different. Like it's a lot lower risk. So I developed a strategy that was actually lower variance, but people like to play with me and I would play a lot of pots pre-flop. I'd raise a lot of pots. So like my hands were concealed, so they couldn't really like put me on hands. I was one of the first people that played like loose aggressive. Now that's considered like the adopted style of like anybody that's good. But back then people didn't really play like that. They played more ABC. It was like, you know, tight, but aggressive, like very few hands. You know what I'm saying? Like I was playing a ton of hands. When it sounded like they would kick you out if they realized you knew what you were doing. Like a lot of these rich guys wouldn't want to play with a quote unquote, someone who does this professionally, right? They, were, yeah, they wanted so, to play with other rich guys. Yeah. So table image was very important. That's why like, I never wanted anybody to think that I was good. I mean, it's like kind of like been annoying that, I mean, people don't believe my story, but at the end of the day, like, no, because I was but telling more. One Lauren, of the smartest things about you, though, that you've done so well is that you've used the sort of like, quote unquote, like daddy, like rich boy to your advantage. And you 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 let people sort of think that. Listen, I've been underestimating my whole life. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I, I can I lean in, I can lean into that, too. Like a lot of these things like require just like you sacrificing your ego. You know, like a lot of people's egos is too strong. And so they can't do that. Like. They, they don't want to be looked at as like an idiot or they don't want to like act stupid or they don't want people to like think I didn't give a fuck. As long as I had the money, I didn't give a shit because I didn't want to listen to people's bullshit. I didn't want to have to fucking ever like follow people's rules. I want to do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And I know I needed money to do that. And so I was willing to do whatever the fuck I had to do to get the money. And that's what I did. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, 
everybody's got their fucking you know style like some people like want to be the fucking best player in the world they want to be renowned as the best player in the world they want to be on tv and they want to win the tournaments but like none of those motherfuckers made as much money as i did did you study books on on human nature and like robert green 48 laws of power when you were doing this or is this i should have all in eight naturally have you met him yet Mm -mm. i feel like that you'd like that dude uh, you you just innately knew all these things about people if you like no, you these learned? were expensive lessons that i had to learn like, <laughs> like and, and when an you fucking pay lesson? to learn these lessons well at the poker table there's expensive lessons like, but give an example of an expensive lesson you make a mistake you misread somebody you know it costs you fucking five hundred thousand dollars you don't make that mistake again like it's a, this learning curve becomes steep when money's involved you know so it's like i paid the fuck attention i acted like an idiot you know what i mean people thought that i was an idiot but i was watching like i was i saw all the fucking angles you also weren't drinking right no i never no but i told a lot of people drink at the table right yeah like at the stakes i was playing it what it's not like in the movies like a lot of like the lower stakes games you got the whores running around you got people fucking drinking and it's like what about sam well, Sam was a fucking lunatic. He was a unicorn. Like, I mean, this guy, like... He sounded fun. He was the best. I mean, but, like, they don't make Give him like Give context that. on Sam, because people are listening, like, what do you guys I mean, he's about? worth $700 million. Like, he was dying. He had a rare disease that he was going to die. Did you know that when you... I knew he had a lot of fucking money. I didn't know he had this rare disease. Like, but he things, knew he was dying. He did. So he, he did. basically came to LA and he wanted to be a fucking rock star. And that's exactly what he did. He fucked the super hot chicks. He had a ton of fun. He gambled. He had the fast cars. He bought the badass house. Like he was the man. Like he did whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Like he was basically like invincible. I've never seen anybody like walk into Dodger Stadium with a fucking cereal bowl full of cocaine and fucking be like ripping rails. I mean, get. Did you ever r- figure out why he got like? I even we're talking about this guy who used to get jammed up with the law and like he'd get out of it every time. Did you ever figure out why? I have no fucking idea, dude. I don't know if was he, he had diplomatic immunity. I don't know. Like I don't know what the fuck this guy had, but he he was like. He was like immune to the law. I just don't know how to describe it. Like he would get, he would get caught drunk as a motherfucker with a bag of coke on him, driving a fucking car without a license, speeding, like reckless driving, you know, with some fucking topless girl in the car, and just like next day he's doing coke and playing poker with me. Like I don't know. Like guy's got his car back. You never I, figured it out. No, I have fucking no idea. And he's dead. I no fucking clue. Like, I mean, it was like he was honestly, like I said, he was a fucking unicorn. They don't make him like that. But guy. So you and he a- calls you over to your, his house one day and he says, come over to my house. And he says, I bought you sharks. No, no. He says, come over, come over. I bought you a gift. And like, I had given this guy Ferraris. I'd given him a Lambo. I'd given him fucking Audemars watches. I'd given this guy millions of dollars worth of gifts. So it's like, I knew if he was getting me a gift, it was going to be something <laughs> legit. But it was like two in the morning. I'm with a girl. I'm like, fucking, I come in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, what? They can wait. And he's like, no, 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 blah, blah, blah. You know, so he's just fucking going crazy about it. And then he finally, he couldn't contain himself. He spit it out, like, spat it out. I fucking bought you sharks. And they're like, you and me and their brothers, and they're going to live together forever. And you got to come over. And I was just like, like wait what it's like yeah i bought you fucking sharks and just fucking come over and it's like all right dude i'll be over there i'm like five minutes away so i like tell the girl I'm like hey put your fucking clothes on we're going to sam's house and she's like oh god no <laughs> and i'm like no but he bought sharks this time it's gonna be different and uh so yeah like go over there and this fucking guy's got like tiger sharks in a swimming pool and it's just and he put table salt in the pool thinking that was... <laughs> I mean, so I go over there. I mean, it's like a whole thing, right? I go over there. I mean, I, I, on the way over there, I'm like, where the fuck is this guy going to put these sharks? Like, did he build an aquarium in his house? Like, this guy's capable of anything, right? So I'm just like, so curious. Like, where the fuck did the guy put the shark? So 
go over there. Sure enough, they're in the fucking swimming pool. And I go to the shallow end. And I like grab the one by the tail and it's fucking blood comes out of the gills and the thing's dead. I'm just like, bro, what, like, what the fuck? You know, like they're saltwater animals. And he's like, you don't think I thought of that? And he just like stares me in the face. And I just like look in the pool and there's like Morton salt shakers and shit in there. <laughs> and like, I just like, in that moment, I just like realized this dude was like literally out of his fucking mind. Like he honestly thought that like throwing salt in the pool, like made it like a salt water. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of like. I was trying to explain crazy. to Lauren too, after you like, cause it sounds like you started taking off. You started winning big games, big money, but then you started also like staking other people who were bringing you money as well as they would win. Is that correct? Dude, it felt like, the movie like mailbox um, money almost. It, it felt like scarface when they were just like had the duffel bags like going in it was just like you just had so much money coming in you didn't know what to do with it i had i was making money on the fucking betting i was making money staking guys i was running a fucking poker game i was making money from that i was making money playing i was taking like, fees from the game when other people would play people were tipping me hundreds of thousands of dollars i could take pieces of like the better players i mean it was just, I had money coming in from every fucking angle. And then I was like, and how many guys years did it take you to get to that point? I was like relatively stagnant with my bankroll. I would say until like 2011 ish. Like I was a millionaire in college, but it wasn't in 2011 when I started like making some real money and then in 2012 it was like the wheels came off and so wagon. when your dad sees this after the success he's had and you're obviously having it in a different way what kind of conversation takes place between you two? Oh, i mean this fucking guy told me to like stop he's like just take the money and run you know stop playing poker stop gambling like that was his advice basically the entire way it was like until i finally like was like fuck you like stop like i'm enough like i'm buying a jet you know like leave the fuck alone and so he i don't know he just didn't never understood it. i mean he he, he he played blackjack so it's just a different different game different mentality like he never understood poker like if you're a good poker player you're not gambling like you're fucking working so yeah he didn't get it a lot of people don't get it and so you start you finally have the money and then at what point do you start to say like i'm gonna start going on a fucking rampage because i think you were in that initial moment in instagram where i don't actually don't think people could do what you did now on that platform i think it was like a moment in time where you were fucking everywhere it was so out there so in people's faces it was so counter to what most people were doing like it sounds like you had a strategy going in and mostly to get laid but like at what point do you realize like well this is a real thing well i realized like the fame piece was real and can like when i went there and like people were just coming up to me nonstop. this big like a-list actor like asked me to like asked his manager to come over to see if he could talk to me. And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, and, and then what's his name? Fucking, uh, Rick Ross asked me for a photo. I was like, oh shit. Like I made it, you know, I got Justin Bieber laid. I was like, you know, this trip was like 12 days or something, you know? And it's like, I fucked a girl without saying a word. Um, <laughs> no, like literally like, I was like, didn't say one word. I fucked two sisters in a bathroom, like one sister in a bathroom. And then like got my dick sucked with the other sister in the same day. Like, I was just crazy shit, you know? And it was like, it was shit that like- And is this because they see your platform and they just, they like- That was a part of it for sure. But I just like, I just tried things. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have tried to fuck a girl without talking to her before. That never would have like crossed my fucking mind. I wouldn't have tried to like fuck a girl in a bathroom. You know what I mean? And you know, like it, I just like, I don't know. It just wouldn't occur to me to do shit like this, you know? But I was like, fuck it. Like- whatever you know and i was like on quaaludes and i was like having fun and just like fuck it you know let's push the limits just like everything was cool like 
girls were just down to do crazy shit, you know, and they were coming up to me in the club. Like it was just like, it was such a different experience than I was used to, you know, like I, through most of my life had to like go talk to girls. And like, now it was like, these girls were coming to me and it was like coming to me in such a quantity that I had to like decide who I wanted to bang that night. I'd never been in that spot where I had like multiple girls that had to pick who I wanted to have sex with. It was just like, that was not a normal thing for me. So like, and I was inundated with all this so fast because before that, I didn't really like leave my house that much. I was like in LA and I was, I had the poker games. I had a bunch of pool parties and I, you know, I fucked a shitload of girls and it was all cool, but it wasn't like just total strangers in public in a foreign country. Like it was just like different. You know what I'm saying? Like, what was no, no, my I saw party? I expected to get laid. Like when I'm having a poker game and I got all these fucking massage girls, like trying to grab me and shit, like I'm expecting, you know, if I want to get laid, it's going to happen. Like it wasn't a surprise, but like when I'm out in just like a foreign fucking country, it doesn't even speak English. You know what I mean? I have like, a funny I'm, story for you. Lauren and I were in Capri and it might've been in like 2000. When were you there? When you had that giant ship with the fucking Ignite logo on it. Oh, 19. So I'm like sitting there having a cocktail with her and I look over and there's like a harem of people and like the streets are swarming. I'm like, what the fuck? And it was you in the middle. It was hysterical. It was, but it was, no, but, but to your point, it was pandemonium. People were going, uh, people ballistic. don't understand. No, no, no. Like, I saw it. It's in every country. This is like in India. This is in Thailand. This isn't like the fucking obscure places. I mean, granted like you had about 25 Greece. women with you or however many were with you. No, no, you. I get it. But I'm just saying like the craziness of it. It's like nuts. you see, like, cause I see these TikTok guys that'll have like 30 million followers. I'd be like, I, I, nobody I know has ever heard of this motherfucker. But when I had like a million and a half followers, I was like world renowned. But I think like my shit was a slightly different because I would get this international press and like Daily Mail would do something and like 200 other articles around the world would be run on that same article. And so I was getting like this international press and then I also had a lot of people like watching my shit that couldn't like actually follow. So I think for a lot of the time it was like underrepresented well, that's what I'm saying is I see people now and like, you know, in the business where we see they like, oh, look at this fall. And I, like half the time, I'm like, who the fuck is this person? I never knew. But you were in a moment in time where like, I think even if the following was lower to your point, it wasn't 30 or 20, whatever it is. Like everybody kind of knew that was on that platform. And I'm not kidding. Like Lauren and I were out there. She was pregnant. We were just like walking the streets and all of a sudden this harem of women with you in the middle comes out and people just going nuts. It was like. Was that the trip that the girl left her boyfriend to suck your dick in the car? No. That was a different trip. Different that trip. was before. Okay. This was just the trying one. Trying to get my trips. <laughs> just trying to get. The, we got to get the timelines. Yeah, straight. no. This was the one where the girl fucked the waiter and videotaped. <laughs> and you sent her home. I mean, yeah, because she, she fucked up my sleep that night. You know, like I honestly <laughs> Your like. Your whoop score was off. <laughs> I, no, it was, if I had a whoop, it would have been fucking disastrous. I was like, I was so like relaxed. Like I sent all the girls to the fucking club. I was like, she like texted me like, oh, I want to foursome with you and this girl and this girl. I'm like, I'm, I'm crashing like tomorrow or something. And then she was like, not tonight. I honestly had like the least amount of sex on that trip of like almost any yacht trip I've ever been on. It was the craziest thing. I had well, so it looked many, like you were running a cruise ship, dude. It was insane. It was a 300 foot fucking like literal cruise ship. We had to, sh we had I could see dock. it from the hotel. We were up in that Punta yeah, Tagar and I was looking down. I'm like, what the fuck is that guy doing? It was there? bananas. It was, it was nuts. And I had put on there just like too many girls that I was like dating. Cause normally what I'd do is I'd have, I don't know, three, five, maybe six girls that I was dating on a trip at any given time and then a bunch of new ones. This was like almost all girls that were like girls that I had been dating. So it was like this, just this tension and I, it was just different. You Let know? me ask I, you something man to man. Yeah. How do you, if you're dating six women. 
I was dating one, like 50. I was dating 50 at a okay, time. Okay, one alone 100. drives me fucking nuts, Lauren. I love you. But I mean, how do you deal with all I'm of these? I'm curious about that too. That's and a like lot of energy. All of these mixing personalities and people vying for your attention. So it's going to be stressful. It's actually harder when it's less. So when I was dating 50 or 100 girls, it was actually less headache than when I was dating like five. Because when I was dating less, they expected more. And it was a different standard. But when I was dating all these girls, they were just like happy to get time. When it was less, when it was like four girls or whatever, then now they're competing to be like the main girl. And so now there's like cattiness, there's this, there's that. You know, if I fuck like one girl more than the other girls, they get mad. Like it's like 50 or 100, none of it matters. Like it's just like they get the time when they get the time. They're happy to be there. Like everything, nobody bitches about anything. There's no jealousy. It's just like. Am I right that you have a soft spot for Jessa and Lindsay? I got that vibe. And Jessa, I know Jessa. I really like her. I think she's cool. And she totally has masculine energy. But it felt like you had a soft spot for both of those girls. Putting them on the spot. Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say a soft spot. I, I had very different interactions with the both girls. So Jessa, I dated like seriously and monogamously for almost three years. And she was like one of my like first like like serious like true loves like she tattooed my name on her pussy like it was like you know a real thing right <laughs> what the fuck Lauren? It, it, that was like a very different relationship Lindsay and i like met at the playboy mansion we had good sex it was cool like i decided to just like randomly make her famous she had huge tits i was happy like like whatever like we dated for a, a relatively short period of time she knew what it was and i just like decided to make her famous like a social experiment and she, for her whole life, has always, like, given me credit. One of the few girls. I've made, like, so many girls famous, it's ridiculous. And she was, like, the one, one girl that actually, like, continued to, like, you know, be like, you know, Dan did this. Like, most girls, I didn't even get a fucking thank you. She actually, like, so I always had respect for her because, you know, she, like, kept it real. And she was actually, like, appreciative, you know, that I, that I helped her out. And I was like, you know, for me, I, I was happy to help her out. I didn't care. Like, she was cool. I didn't want anything serious at the time. And. You know, we we had fun, and I just I've had nothing but good things to say about her. Jessa and I had a much more like tumultuous relationship. It was like very toxic, you know. And so we we had our ups and downs and our battles. And Lindsay was on Juicy Scoop, a podcast, and she was so cool about you on the podcast. She got asked all these questions about you, and she was really complimentary and really cool. You're right about that. She gave the, you credit. The the thing that like a lot of people don't realize is like almost every girl that I've hooked up with, for the most part, doesn't have anything bad to say about me. You know what else is interesting? Like, like nobody else in Hollywood has fucked thousands of girls and had no fucking issues with any of them. You also don't give off a, I, don't, I was telling Katie this earlier, you don't give off a creepy energy. Like sometimes when guys are like screwing all these girls, there's like a creepiness to it. There's not a creepiness to it. I was a guy that like, I was never like aggressive with girls. If I didn't feel like a girl really wanted to fuck me, I was done with it. So that's why I've like never had any rape allegations. I've never had any sexual, none of this shit. And I of all the fucking guys in the world you would think would, but because I cultivated a very different energy, which was like, I created a situation where the girls were like fighting to hook up with me that that was just it was just different and but for me like i had to feel like a girl really was into me or i just like couldn't get it in the sec that's why i never like really fucked i mean i've, I've obviously fucked hookers but not very many 
it would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of headache and a lot of like mindless conversations to like have sex with hookers. But for me, like if I felt like the girl only wanted to have sex with me for like a dollar amount and not for like any it, other reason. It need to be a desire. Yeah, it was like hard to get into. I couldn't get into it. Like part of the, like for me, like part of having like really good sex, the girl is like really like super into me and super into the sex. And like that makes it better for me. It's not like some crazy technique or whatever. It's just like, she's super into it. So if I didn't feel that vibe, then it's like, whatever. There's plenty of girls that, I'll find that with so all no, good. No, I, like, again, I think like part of the reason we wanted to talk to you, there's a few, but you know, you read your book and what, what are those things called where the other people contribute in the book? What, oh, the, vignettes. The vignettes. Like yep. not just the women that you've been with, but a lot of men, like so many people maybe share things about you that are counter to what you see from the image or from the videos that you post, right? Like they mostly talk about what you do to help other people. They talk about you being a good friend. They talk about you being no bullshit. Like the women have nothing but nice things to say. And I think what's interesting is obviously you're a polarizing character. You know that but you, you obviously grab a lot of attention for some of the stuff you post. But I think there's just this other side that when I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh, there's a whole other person with a lot more depth here. Well, I lead with my worst, you know? So I'm like the opposite of a politician. They try and convince you how fucking good they are. I shovel all my shit right in your face. So it's like, I'll give you tons of reasons to hate me. Like you can have them here. They are like, whatever, love it or hate it. This is part of who I am. Like I said, I leave my worst. I don't talk about my charity. I don't talk about like, you know, good shit. Cause like, I don't need a fucking pat on the back for that stuff. Like, I don't care if everybody likes me. Like I'm not here to win a popularity contest. So for me, like the Instagram was a social media experiment. It was just like, I wanted to see if I could make myself famous. Like I, I told my buddy who did the Paris Hilton fuck tape, I was like, I'm gonna be more famous than Paris Hilton. He laughed at me and I was like, okay. I was like, I think I can do it. You know, and this is like when I know, I didn't like, hadn't even started Instagram. Like I was like just starting it or whatever. Does the media always twist everything with you? Because you wrote about the Las Vegas shooting and what I found so interesting about that chapter is is you sort of were explaining the whole entire situation and you talked about how you were trying to get a gun out of a police car. So I've got the whole video if you want to watch it. So I'm like there, every, the, like the, the, the headlines were Dan Bilzerian flees, you know, Marine calls him a coward, all this shit. I was literally there for like the shooting was like nine minutes. I have a video of like six and a half minutes of it. You know what I mean? So like I was there literally the entire shoot shooting. We took two girls to the hospital and then I came back and I was there for fucking two hours. But so if like you had picked up a gun, you, the way you look, you would have been shot. Yeah. At. That was well, such a good point that you a, said. That's another thing is like, you know, you like sometimes you think you know what you want. Like at that time I wanted a gun so fucking bad. I remember I had the keys. I was in the fucking cop car. And I was trying to get this fucking shotgun unlocked. I was trying so hard and fucking bullets are going by my fucking head and shit. I just like really, I wanted that gun so bad and I could not fucking unlock this motherfucker. It's like one of those bad dreams. I'm like, you got a gun, you're trying to shoot the fucking guy and you just Could can't. you see him? No, nobody, just, nobody, nobody had any knew idea where he was. Yeah, he was all the way up top. I thought yeah. everybody thought this guy was in the crowd with a fucking machine gun mowing people down, right? So I just wanted to get a gun. And I couldn't get this fucking shotgun out. Ran over this girl, fucking shot in the fucking head. We like her friends, like, I'm like, hey, bring her to the cop car. And I went back in there. I was gonna drive the cop car. Keys were fucking gone. Then the guy starts fucking shooting again. So we fucking run, run over towards the Mandalay and some cops are like running away. We stop it. We're, we're going towards it. They're running away. We stop at a fucking whatever. It's cement fucking block or whatever. Barricade? Yeah, yeah, barricade. And I showed him like my police ID or whatever. And I was like, ask him if I could have a fucking gun. 
I guess I'd seen too many Bruce Willis movies or whatever. But I mean, I was a fuck guy. Literally, like four days before that, I'd like no, kick the fucking door off his hinges in New Mexico to serve a mur murder warrant. So it's not like you know, I wasn't an actual fucking cop. Like I was serving fucking high risk warrants. Like I was a fucking police officer for like three and a half years. So it's not you know, like everybody online is like, oh. But again, like, I feel with you, everybody's just so determined to never give you any credit. 100 percent. But they, you know, they've never caught me. Like all these years, they're trying to get the I got you moment. Like, but like, like what? The, I mean, here's the thing. You're in one of was it the largest shooting in U.S. history? Yes. Okay, so you're in that shooting. Everyone's commenting about what you should have done or what you should have done. In the meantime, you're like, you motherfuckers, like you weren't at the fucking shooting. Meanwhile, I'm running towards the fucking Mandalay, trying to get a gun from multiple locations, then take two girls to the hospital. The next day, deliver fucking 10,000 pounds of water, go to the hospitals, fucking deliver food, like doing all this shit while some fucking retard Marine is like on his fucking keyboard, like talking about what I should have done in the situation. It's just like, these guys are such fucking But at clowns. some point, I mean, again, and you've played up a lot of this image to your benefit and you figured out how to kind of like create these systems and quote unquote, like it's these setups. Does it start to nag at you though at some point when you like, you know, because I was telling Lauren, what you've accomplished in poker is no easy feat. How you started staking people, how you started making money. Everybody that thinks it's that easy, it's like, go try it. It's not that easy. And all the other stuff, the seal trading, it's almost like nobody ever gives you credit. Yeah, no, but I've, you know, it's just tough. I like, I've been underestimated my whole life, you know, and I've always like tried to use that to my advantage and I have used that to my advantage. So it's something that I've just like come to terms with. But it doesn't bother you? I mean, I've had so many people tell me how fucking great I am on the internet. They don't know me. And I've had so many people tell me what a fucking scumbag. I just kind of like, you can't, you can't walk down the fame road and worry about what people think about you if you do you're literally going to go insane i was talking we were talking to ellie golding on this show uh, a few weeks back and i was saying the the scary thing in my personal opinion and obviously not, not the same level with fame is that i feel like there's a certain point where if you go past it you're done like you can't put the genie back in the bottle like you like if you there's certain people, the Justin Bieber's yourself, certain people that get to a level. It's like, hey, I, if you if you were right now, like I don't want this anymore. I want my but privacy I'm, back. I it's, haven't barely posted in like last three. But that's years. my point. Like, it's I too late. I haven't posted in six months. I was going to ask like, you that. Why? But it's too late for you. I think. I just don't care. Like I feel like social media is like a video game I beat like fucking eight years ago, and I'm like everybody's playing the same game. I'm like tired of playing it. Like I look at social media like a fucking cancer. Like to me, I think it's the worst thing to be happening to society. So I just like. It, it just cringe to perpetuate that problem. Like I said, I'm like, I'm, I'm focusing on a site right now to like try and like help people out. And I want to like, you know, focus on that. And I just, I did what I came to do with social media. Like I got fucking super fucking famous. Like I got all the pussy. Like I climbed these mountains and it's like, you can only climb the same mountains for so long before it gets born. I mean, honestly, I was like kind of over a lot of this shit before I started Ignite, like around about that time, but I did it for like the company. And so like, you have to understand, I've been doing something that I feel like I've already done for a while. Like I'm just like ready to like climb something new, do something new, cause I've already done it. But does it get tiring at this point? Because like you said, you haven't put, when's the last time you posted in 22 or something like that? Yeah. And I still feel like if we were to go with you right now to the casino, and we we're gonna go out. You are gonna get bombarded. You're gonna get stormed. Yeah, it never ends. Like I, I, I recognize that. Like I've lost my privacy. So a what do you? I mean, to ago. me, like, and again, I'm, like that would drive me insane at some point. I mean, it's got to be nice for certain things. But do you ever like look at it and be like, God damn, I want my privacy back? I've always been a pretty like private person. I wasn't like a guy that like went to fucking ball games and went to dive bars and I just like. 
I don't know. I was never really like out in general populace, like almost my whole life. Like it's in the military. Then I was in college. Then I was gambling. Like, I mean, I've been flying private for fucking, you know, 15 years. Like I just, I don't really like, I'm not out there in the mix as much. So if I was in G-pop more often, you know, like I, it would, yeah, it would be a lot. Like it's a lot to deal with for sure. Like when I go out, I have to just like, mentally acknowledge that this is what it's going to be and like i've also like you know decided that i'm going to take every photo too so that makes it like super brutal because it's just like man that's what people want the selfie yeah i just you know i had this moment with denzel back in like 2012 maybe 13 i don't know around about that denzel washington yeah okay. where i did a i did denzel, a scene first name we're not on first name with denzel but yeah well, neither am i he, <laughs> fuck, i'm sure he doesn't still know who the fuck i am but i did a scene with him in a movie and and he killed me uh, like dying on a barbed wire noose and he's like staring at me while i'm dying i'm spitting out blood and shit and he complimented me on my death it's a few words i still remember it you know and so i guess and he wasn't like a childhood hero of mine or anything like that. But it's just an acknowledgement but of he good was a, work. Yeah, he was a good actor. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a compliment. It was a fucking split second of his time that I've remembered. And it meant a lot because I'm a shitty actor. And I tried to do it. Right? I mean, I think I did a good job in that movie. But anyways, the point is that a lot of times it won't be that much time for you but it'll be an impact for the other person and so it's just like the right answer to do it it's like if you see an old lady fall like you help her up like i don't know to me it's like the same thing as seeing an old lady fall somebody asks me for a photo and it means a lot to them to get a fucking picture i'll take the fucking picture do i want to no i don't fucking like taking pictures especially when i'm fucking mushrooms i'm looking at the goddamn camera my face is melting in the fucking screen they want to try and have a conversation with me but like i still fucking do it you know and so i just mentally like acknowledge like this is my bed i made it like i got i reaped the benefits of it you know i got to fuck all the hot chicks well this is you know fucking you know nothing's free in this world well a professional has just released its most luxurious hair care line ultimate repair and you have seen it on my instagram stories i showed you what I like to use, how I like to use it. I gave you the whole breakdown, but basically what I like is they have this product and it's called Ultimate Repair Miracle Hair Rescue. It is like this bougie leave-in spray, but it repairs hair damage in 90 seconds. So I noticed when I switched colors and just like a lot of heat on my hair that I was getting some hair damage. So I like to wear my hair in a bun all the time. And I'm like, if I'm going to wear my hair in a bun in like a sleek back bun, I might as well be multitasking. So I put this in after I get out of the shower. Now, I'm not one to wash my hair a lot. We know this. So what I do is I'll just wet my hair. I won't shampoo and condition it. So I'll wet it. I'll get out. I'll brush it with my very specific brush. And then I'll put this leave-in spray that repairs the damage. I really like it because it has AHA, which rebuilds hair bonds. And this also has omega-9 in it, which is awesome. It's just very particular if you're looking to repair damaged hair. I'm obsessed with it for a tight bun. So if you want to check it out, you can purchase Ultimate Repair Miracle Hair Rescue at Ulta now. You can also go to wella.com. That's W-E-L-L-A.com to learn more. So if you want to check it out, you can purchase Ultimate Repair Miracle Hair Rescue at Ulta now. You can also go to wella.com. That's W-E-L-L-A.com to learn more and make sure you use it on wet hair. That's the move. 
Let's discuss diamonds. So do you think that you know about diamonds? I was actually surprised to know probably not as much as you think. So over a billion years old, the natural diamond is still very much a part of the present. So like an engagement ring, the gift from a partner or the jewelry that we buy to celebrate a win sparks a lot of joy. But did you guys know that the stone is connected to 10 million people around the world? This is so crazy. So I had the opportunity to learn all about this. And you can also learn all about natural diamonds. They're really promising and more sparkling future for generations to come. All of the info is on their site. You can discover so many more natural diamond truths at naturaldiamonds.com slash thank you. That's naturaldiamonds.com slash thank you. You can learn all about the natural diamond industry on the site. It's just really cool to know more about it, especially if you have a natural diamond. That's naturaldiamonds.com slash thank you. Delavi Sciences. We recently had the opportunity to interview the president of this company, Kyle Laundry, and he is a scientist who really put his heart and soul into this product with David Sinclair. And basically, David Sinclair is this Harvard biologist and longevity expert. I'm sure you guys have heard of him. He's very popular. And they came together to create a product all based on science. And their product reduces fine lines, wrinkles, protects the skin's moisture barrier, improves elasticity, firmness, and most importantly, fights the visible impacts of aging. I think that this company is really cool because everything is data-backed science and everything is made with elements found in nature. I think Delavi's company is really interesting because everything is data-backed science with elements found in nature. So they're very specific about what goes in it, making sure that everything is designed to reduce free radicals and even stimulate the gene that regulates aging. So there's this product that they have. It's an age-defying serum. It's incredible. And they gave you guys a code. If you want to know more too about skincare and science and all the different natural elements, you can head to that episode with Kyle. It's really interesting. And in the meantime, visit delaviesciences.com to receive 25% off your first order of the Aona Age Defying Serum. Use promo code SKINNY at checkout to receive your discount. You can go stalk their site and see all of the science and the clinically proven benefits. That's delaviesciences.com to receive 25% off off code skinny. So you had your own son and you were coaching your son. Would you push him towards this life or would you caution against it? <laughs> no. no, I would not push him towards this life. Not that I don't feel like I led a fulfilled life and I did all I've like pretty much honestly done all the things that I set out to do. I just realize that going down the pleasure-seeking road is not really the road to happiness and it's not a road that you can ever really feel fulfillment on like take it from me i'm a guy that's like fucked all the girls they did all the shit i had all the fast cars. you know i i like checked every single pleasure-seeking box to the end of the earth and then kept going so like i'm one of the few people that can like acknowledge that that's it, was it fun? Like, of course it was fun. And like pleasure spikes are great, but it's not a road that'll lead you to happiness. So I would not recommend him go down the same path of me. Would you ever have kids? Mm, it's possible. Would you ever get married? That is less likely. 
you know, as a gambler, betting half your net worth, you're going to love a chick forever, is given my experience, what I've seen. I Here's my thing with marriage. I feel like, are there marriages at work? Yes. Are there people that are happily married? Of course. Is marriage a good thing if you have kids? Probably. But I also see the other side of it, which is so many people that have gotten married and then become complacent because of that marriage. Or, you know, usually a relationship is like two magnets. And I give this example a lot. One magnet, if you get too close, the other magnet pushes away. In the same way on the other side, right? So if you've got one person that's a little bit more into the relationship of the other, which is usually the case, it's very rare that everybody's like equally in it, right? Like somebody's usually a little bit overreaching, you know, like a little bit better than the Michael's other one. Michael's way more obsessed with me than I am with him. <laughs> Be that as it may. There's a moment where I just shut up. You know? Some person is usually like kind of more in it than the other, right? And so what happens is when you get locked in like that, now you have to ask the government permission to break up. The person that was less locked in sometimes feels more trapped. And then the person that's been trying really hard to keep that person that's maybe like above their fucking pay grade stops trying trying quite so hard. You know what I mean? Then it's like there becomes a little bit of animosity that builds up, right? Like all of a sudden, you got your dick sucked every night. And now it's like only on Tuesday and Wednesdays, you know? And then it's like only on Tuesdays. And then it's like, okay, now once every couple of weeks, you know what I mean? It's like, and so, or, you know, or the chick is, you know, getting less fit or the guy lets his fucking belly go or you know what i mean like whatever the case is when you're not married and the other person doesn't act right your girl starts flirting with another dude i'm fucking out the door right but if i'm married to this bitch and now i gotta get fucking permission from the government and give her half of my shit i'm gonna put up a little bit more flirting right so but that's gonna come with animosity you know what i'm saying and so it's like i think the best relationships are when both people want to be together just because they enjoy each other's company, not because they're forced by the government, not because they have some fucking title, not because of some pressures, not because they have a kid and they feel like it'd be bad for the kid to not be together, but because they just want to hang out with each other because they enjoy each other's company. That to me is the perfect relationship. I don't need government permission for that. I get why women push for it. If you're going to have a kid, if you're going to give up your fucking career, you're going to make sacrifices. I understand you want a little security. It's like, I get the whole premise of marriage, right? Like you want a tax break or whatever the fuck you're in the military. You want that extra pay. You want tax to live off base. Tax break's not that great to be honest. But. but I'm saying like you want to live off base. Like in the military, there's a big incentive to get married. You know, marriage is actually like pushed a lot on like the, you know, people with less money. It's like a lot more benefits come from them. You know, just like, you know, having more kids is encouraged by people that are like under the poverty line. They get more welfare. It's like, you know, so... Anyways, I t to me, like I said, I think it makes sense for some people, but I think as a general rule, I think relationships are worse off when there's more pressure put on them. And I believe that, that marriage puts pressure on a relationship. And I think people act the best when each of them can leave. Like if he starts fucking acting like an asshole, he starts checking out your sister, you could be out the door. Maybe he won't check out your sister. Shit, if, Dan, I should have talked to you before I got married. Fuck. It goes the other way, too. You know what I mean? You stop sucking the guy's dick. You know what I mean? It's like... I, I always got, rally. Good. <laughs> good. Right. It's working out so far. We haven't got to the Tuesday, Thursday. No, I, but if, it, if that ever starts to happen, I'm going to call you up and say, we got a problem. I mean, honestly, though, but relationships just work best when both people are trying hard. And that's what happens a lot of times when both people can walk. They both want, you know, the other person to stick around. They want the other person to be happy. Some people, selfish people, 
get lazy. And when they're in a relationship, they know they got the other person locked up and they got half this motherfucker's money. They stopped trying. And now all of a sudden, this guy's like, oh shit, this girl just wanted me for my money because now she's not doing all these things because she knows she's fucking got me. And then it clicks in his head. And then he, you know what I'm saying? Then he starts fucking, you know, it's just like this slippery slope. I, I also think like I was reading another part of your book and you were talking about how people put so much into chasing different people, man, woman, whatever. And you were, and, and basically what you were saying is the secret to having power with women is not needing them and also finding happiness being by yourself and being on your that own. That was great. That and was, having I love your, that And one. having your own shit going on yeah. and having your own accomplishments. And I think one thing that I think is difficult for men and women in relationships, it's like they feel like the relationship is what completes them as a person and they don't go back and do the work on themselves to just be a solid person individually. Yeah, a lot of people, they basically get codependent or they get lazy or, you know, a lot of things. Like, I feel like a lot of people in relationships because they're scared that they can't do better or they're just too lazy to go out and try or like, I don't know, I just see a lot of people that are doing it wrong but you're right too. i mean like i think about lauren and i's marriage and i think we're both the type of people we're like i'm fully confident that if i went off on my own i'm going to be good and i'm fully confident that she knows if she went off on her own she's going to be good and i actually think that that makes the relationship stronger because it's a little bit of a check where it's not like i'm sitting there clinging to her and she's yeah, not two, clinging two to people me. that don't need each other that's i mean that's really like at the end of the day where you want to be yeah like, and i don't i mean she's probably sitting there like what do you what's this motherfucker thinking now but you get my point it's like I think so many people, they think that their life becomes complete as they get into a relationship and that, you know, other person validates them or makes them a whole person. And I think, it, yeah, they, they need something. They go in there with a need. And like, if you can just go in there, like I said, cause you want to hang out with the other person, then it's more, it's a lot more pure than if like you need attention or you need companionship or you need this, or you need that, you know, you're, then you're kind of like pulling on the person, you know, it's desperate energy. How do you get to yes. a place where you legitimately don't care how you're perceived and how and and what people think of you because i think the pendulum has swung so far to this politically correct bullshit and everybody walking on eggshells about what they can say that it's actually like a beacon and it's refreshing when certain characters just say and speak their mind and i think the reason people are so fed up with politics in this country is because you just feel like people aren't telling you the truth it's just a constant stream of bullshit how do you get to a place where you're just comfortable being you speaking your mind? When does that take place? Is that before social media? Is that after? Is it a principle you had going into it? I think a part of it is like having financial security. I think not needing people, not giving a fuck if you lose an endorsement, not caring about this. Not, like That's why it surprised me so much that The Rock is such a puppet is because like he's got too much money to be doing this shit. You know, like... I don't understand it. I would think that like authenticity would, you know, be the most important thing. For some people it is, Hollywood. some people it's not. He's in Hollywood. Yeah, it's like a lot of puppets, you know? A lot of people just like, yeah. you know, continuing the charade. Yeah, I was like, people talk about, I mean, this, it, people get mad when we talk about on the show, but like this cancel culture thing. I'm like, you can only be canceled if you give somebody leverage over yourself, whether that's leverage over your career or leverage over an endorsement or you know, like, yeah, if you don't no, give them the leverage. Exactly. Like, if you have enough money, you really can't be canceled. Because like, what is being canceled? It's like losing endorsements, losing this, but it's all money. You don't give a fuck about that. They can't control you. You know what I'm saying? The key is to have enough money and then nobody can cancel you. I'm not going to stop being famous because like people fucking, you know, decided one day that like I said something wrong, like, and just not being afraid of being canceled and not even fucking allowing it to like enter into your like headspace, I think eliminates its possibility like in and of itself because i was never worried about being canceled i never fucking cared like i 
you know, I knew the fame wasn't just going to go away. I honestly would have been happy if it fucking did. And so I've just always said what the fuck I wanted to say. And I've never filtered myself. So the internet me, comes for the apologists too. They just, well, do, that, the, well, the moment you like apologize, bullies, right? you've lost. Yeah. Like, unless you genuinely feel bad about what you've done. Sure. Well, then that's but different. Almost all these motherfuckers that have apologized have apologized because they get pressure because their fucking, you know, manager says so or their sponsor or their fucking sugar daddy or whatever the fuck it is. Like, you know, this pressure comes down and they decide like they need to fucking bend a knee. And it's just, that's just wrong. Like, I never apologize for jack shit unless I actually meant it. Like, have I fucked up? Of course. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't like issue apologies because people tell me to issue apologies because it's fashionable to issue an apology. I didn't post a fucking black square. I didn't fucking like virtue signal. Like I didn't fucking tell people to wear a mask. Like I didn't do any of that shit. Like yeah. I didn't follow the rest of these fucking sheep. Like when everybody does something, I don't feel the need to fucking do it. And I've just always been like that. This is kind of how I'm wired. So I don't understand when all these people just do what everybody else is doing because they're doing it. Like that just seems strange to me. Well, the scariest thing to me, and I told Lauren this, I've said it multiple times about the last few years is how quickly people are just to get in line and just to do what they're told. It's, you it's, saw it with the jab. It's, it's, I mean, it's it's scary how quick people are just like, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, everyone's doing it, everyone's saying it, I might as, like, and, and, you, and you watch these people kind of like try to validate things in their head or like, you know, rationalize, and it's, it's, it's almost like they're trying to talk themselves into it. They don't really believe it. It's I just don't what, care if everyone wants to do something, go do it, but don't, don't make me do it. Don't try to get me to do it. Go, leave me alone. That's the problem with like, the Democrat stance as it used to be about like freedom, your body, your choice, like all this stuff. And now they've just become massive hypocrites. Like I actually used to be like more of a liberal than I was a conservative for sure. Like when my grandfather used to fucking be spouting off all of his like conservative shit, I was just like, I was on the other side, legalize weed. You know what I mean? Like say what you want. Yeah. Like do what the Have fuck sex. you want. Yeah. Like I, so, but in recent years, it's become like this opposite message. It's like, you know, like freedom of speech if you agree with us. Otherwise, we're going to silence you. It's like your body, your choice until it comes to fucking like, you know, taking a fucking jab and then you have to do it or you're, you know, a fucking piece of shit and like screw your freedom. And it's just like all this stuff. And to me, like freedom of speech is the fucking First Amendment for a reason. Like that's important. And like, everybody's not going to agree with you and it's okay. I don't want everybody to agree with me. I want people to have their own opinions. Like I want people to challenge me if they think I'm fucking wrong. Like I want like people that like have differing views. Like I don't want an echo chamber of fucking yes men. Like I want like challenges and that's what everybody should want, you know? But like when one side decides to silence another, you look in history, like when did that happen? The Holocaust, like you look at like these fucking catastrophic events and how did it happen? media propaganda, silencing one side, you know, like this idea that we are right and they're wrong and it doesn't matter like what the cost or, you know, like what we have to do to win. And it's like, you look in history, like with Mao, with all these like Stalin, Hitler, like all these people that have done, you know, atrocious things, killed millions of fucking people. And what is the common thread is like, you know, we're going to take away people's guns. We're going to silence them. We're going to have the fucking, you know, propaganda machine, you know, promote our agenda, whatever. And it's like, 
I don't know. If you don't see the similarities going on right now, it's like a little frightening. Well, people don't realize that extremes also get answered with extremes. And the more you make people dig their heels in, the more of an extreme position they're going to take. Right? Like if I'm like, hey, Dan, be open to reason. You do that. But if I'm like, Dan, don't fucking say anything, then you're going to dig in even deeper on whatever position you're holding. You're going to entrench yourself. And so it's hard to break through that and have a dialogue with people because they get so entrenched in their ideals. Yeah. Our country's just gotten more and more divided over the last few years. It's kind of like upsetting to see. Uh, it's gotten more racist, more divided, and really like totally unnecessarily, you know, like everything was fucking fine. And like, we just had it so fucking good that we just wanted to create a bunch of fucking problems. You know, like I didn't see any fucking racism. I didn't see any fucking homophobia. I didn't see any of these fucking issues that everybody acts as like a fucking national concerns. The white supremacy is the fucking biggest threat to America. I've never even met a fucking skinhead. I've met fucking hundred million people probably in my fucking course of my life. You know what I mean? I've been in the fucking military, traveled all over the world, fucking, you know, college, like, you know, this, that. I don't think I've ever met a single fucking skinhead. I'm not saying they don't exist, but they're certainly not the fucking number one threat in America. Like, and so to me, I just like, I just listen to this nonsense that the media fucking spews and it's just like a little concerning, you know? Like I remember when I was younger, I feel like the journalists had a little bit more integrity or a little bit more of a need to feel like they were going to report the facts or to do their due diligence. And now it's like Denzel said, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter who we heard. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's true. It's just like, just be first. Want to be first. Want to get clicks. Like, we don't care if the headline's right as long as people read it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what our media has turned into is this like clickbait fucking. It's like literally what the National Enquirer used to be. I think it's one of the worst things about social media because I think social media amplifies that kind of behavior from people that are in the journalistic fields where it's like they they're vying for attention because now they're not competing with a couple other channels. They're competing with the world and they're seeing how many people can click and share something as fast as they can based on something that triggers them, right? Like that's the whole goal now is like, let me see if I can trigger you so that you share this or promote it or talk about it or comment it or engage in it. And yeah. I think and that's- it's, and it's attention spans have shortened, you know, it's like, what can we do to elicit emotion instead of like reporting a real story? And everybody's so used to like these things that capture your attention and these things that elicit emotion that it's like when they're coming out with headlines they're more interested in like triggering you or eliciting emotion than they are to like actually tell the story and so often they'll just print something that's completely untrue just to get people to click you are very serious about your wellness i'm I'm taking a plot twist here because i want to get specifics you're very very detailed about in in the book you tell us even like how much steroids you're taking <laughs> well, well I told you you my t- heaviest cycle yeah <laughs> t- tell us about if someone wants to take steroids what's the what's the tips well the first thing would be to get your blood work done so decide like establish a baseline determine whether or not you're even a candidate for doing hormone replacement therapy i wouldn't recommend just ripping a cycle for anybody i would recommend like going to a doctor getting your blood work done seeing where you're at even if you decide like no matter what my blood work says i'm getting on steroids that's fine like do what the fuck you want to do like i don't care if you want a mainline drano shoot heroin it's your fucking body do what the fuck you want with it but just make an educated decision right like figure out where you are like what if you have a naturally like super high testosterone level and now you go shoot testosterone and now you have to shoot it for the rest of your life like I mean, I do that. Like people do that. Like it's a decision you can make, but like I wouldn't have done it if I had like a naturally occurring 1100, you know? So, but you know, everybody's got 
their choices to make, right? All I'm saying is just do it educated. Like go get your blood work, make a decision and then do it correctly. Like do your research, figure out like what, like know what it means. Like if you take too much testosterone, it'll convert to estrogen via aromatization, right? So like if your testosterone aromatized into estrogen, now all of a sudden you've got a higher estrogen in your body than your body's capable of handling. You're going to grow breast tissue. You're going to become emotional. You're going to have night sweats. You're going to have trouble sleeping. There's all these things that come with it, right? So you have to know what to look out for. And then there's a pill that you can take to just counteract that, right? So like there's things that you can take and, and, and you can do this relatively safely if you do it informed. If you just go haul off and just shoot a bunch of fucking shit in your leg and you don't know like what it is or what to look out for, then you can have like irreparable side effects that you'll deal with for the rest of your life. Like growing female breast tissue as a man, like, you know, it's like counterintuitive. You'd think like having a high testosterone level would make you less likely, but really like it can turn into estrogen and your body wants to establish some kind of like balance, right? So if you have super high tests, your body naturally wants to like raise your estrogen to kind of like have somewhat of a balance. And so there's just like, I would say education, you know, education, blood work, like, you know, finding a doctor that understands hormone replacement therapy and just doing it like safely so that you don't. If I start ripping the cycle, Lauren, I'm going to have to. No, I think uh, testosterone would be fun for you. If you, if, if are there other wellness practices that you do on a day to day basis, like you, you, you do the ice bath. I saw a sauna. What else? Yeah, I do a lot. I do um, saunas, ice baths. I do peptides. I do NAD. I do stretching. I do cardio. I lift weights. I. What do you do for cardio? You got to be like so detailed with us. Tell us exactly what you do. I do incline sprints, like thirty second intervals. So like thirty second, like balls to the wall. I like the maximum incline. And then I rest for like a minute and then go and do another one. So I do like some hit training like that. Other times I'm doing like longer duration, lower heart rate stuff. So just like incline walking at like three and a half miles an hour. Are you still doing cycling like you did when you cycled from Vegas to LA, right? No, no. I go, is, I'll go for like an hour to hour ride now. That is so gnarly that you yeah. did that. Talk to us about that. Well, the funniest part about that is after you did it, what your your commentary on cyclists was you, the funniest. That was thing. so funny. Because I mean, you, they're just huge pussies that overestimate <laughs> the difficulty of their sport. I mean, they all said that I had a 0% chance to do it. And I ripped it with like 16 hours to spare. And I honestly believe that I could have turned around and gone back. Like, to, to, <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like cycling is just one of those things where it hurts your balls, though, I would think. Well, your ass. Like, yeah, your ass yeah. gets really sore and chafed and, like, can bleed and yeah. bruise. And, yeah, I mean, like, but you're not going to die. Like, right. you can just keep fucking pedaling. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, like, one of those things where, like, just don't be a fucking pussy and just keep going. And you'll fucking bike a lot further than you think you can. I mean, certainly a lot easier than running. Like, I don't know. I, I just, like, it, it was hard. Like, don't get me wrong. Like biking 300 miles and you're off the couch and you've never ridden more than five miles in your life isn't easy, but it's it just wasn't as hard as everyone told you it was going to be. No, they said it was impossible, which is like the craziest thing of all. It was like absolutely not impossible. It was fucking like relatively like easily doable for anybody that like really had fucking serious determination. Like if I stuck a gun to most people's head that are in reasonable shape, like they could just go do it. Like would it be comfortable? No. Like, would they be bleeding? Would they be fucking have a hard time walking? Like, maybe, but like, they'd fucking do it. And like, if I told them I was going to fucking kill their mother and their family, like, I bet you most people would get on that goddamn bicycle and fucking ride to LA. What advice did Lance give you? He was the only person that told me that he thought I could do it. So, huh. and then the first question I asked him, I spat out of my mouth before like and this is anything Lance Armstrong. else. 
yeah, was like, what's the fucking steroid cycle? Like, what do I do? You didn't want to tell me. I was like, fuck, man, I can learn to ride a bike from anybody. I want to know the juice. Well, that's a perfect example of like, they like, they fucking thrashed him for that. Yeah. If I was him, I would have been like, fuck you. I did steroids. So did everybody else suck my dick. That would have been my (laughs) apology. Like, you want my medals, take them, but I fucking earned them. Everybody else is juicing. Fuck you. I, that, that, I honestly, and I think he would have done a lot better with that. But, you know, listen, he was getting a lot of heat from a lot of angles and he had sponsors and this and that. I just have never been an apology guy, you know? I mean, but. You don't say. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, I don't, like, I don't look at what he did as being wrong. Like, everybody was fucking cheating to me. It's like, do whatever the, you the guys want. No, but the most yeah. awkward thing, and I think all of us can say, anybody that's watched somebody go on these weird apology tours where you know they're not really fucking sorry and they've just been told they have to do it to check a box. They look like make, a whip dog to me. Yeah, and it's, no, it's terrible. And we, none of us, like, it, it's. Listen, again, if I say something or do something and I've said a lot of wild shit on here and I'm sorry for it and I feel like I've actually hurt someone and, and you know, maybe I misspoke, I will apologize and I say, okay, that was in poor taste. But if I'm not sorry, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because I'm not fucking sorry. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's also, you know, different when you're facing it, you know, and I'm sure he was facing it, you know, from a lot of different angles and I'm sure it wasn't a fucking, you know, easy thing for him. I mean, I've, I've faced it and I've said, fuck you. So I know what I would do in the spot. But I think a lot more people would cave than you would expect. You know, I think a lot of people would say they wouldn't. But I think when it comes down, when everybody, you know, it seems like everybody fucking hates you. The media is fucking shitting on you and the fucking world is coming down in your fucking head. You're losing your fucking money and your fucking sponsorships are going out the window. And this is like the only thing you think you can do to save yourself. Like, be surprised what people do in desperation. You know, Benny Binion had a good quote. He said, People are honest as long as they can afford to be. That's a good quote. Easy to fucking, you know, do the right thing when, you know, you got a bunch of money and everything's fucking going good. But when the shit hits the fan, it's like, everybody says like, oh, I wouldn't rat. But when they're facing fucking 50 years to life and they got to fucking, you know, give up one guy and they're going to fucking get a lot, you know, you're going to get five years, they're going to walk, you know, their, their talk becomes very cheap. So... A lot of people that talk to talk, you know, but you find out when the shit hits the fan, like who's going to walk it. And so far, not a lot of people have said, fuck you. Most people bend the knee. Most people apologize. Sounds like we got a lot of cyclists in this country. (laughs) (laughs) You said, or your dad said in the book that you shouldn't write it and put it out. What does he think now? Does he still think that? Probably the same thing. He 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 doesn't approve too much of what I've done in my life. Really? Yeah. He doesn't think it's fun and like... You don't think there's an element of him that's... I mean, there's got to be. An he's element. not a normal human being. Why? Because he's never drank. He never chased pussy. He never hung out with the fucking guys. Like he he's was not a normal human being. And he's not like most guys do that. Most guys care about those things. Like most guys that have made hundreds of millions of dollars would buy a Ferrari. They'd fucking get a nice watch. They just like I don't know. He just is just a very different breed. Like He also got mad but, at you, which was so funny. You like got him out of jail and you gave up your trust to get him out of jail and you'd think, heard of it, you know. You th- you think that your dad would be like that's so like commendable son and he was like pissed at you for months. He didn't talk to me for 6 months. Yeah. But it sounds like both of you at the root of it. It's and tell me if I'm wrong. It's maybe a control thing. It's like controlling the environment, controlling the outcome, having predictability like you I think and I was like trying to like understand the relationship between you and your dad. And I think you're, you obviously pursued different things in him, but it's a lot of it is like building control around and having control in the environment that you're in. 
I think a big part of his motivation was control. I think that's why he wanted the money. It clearly wasn't to get girls. It clearly wasn't to fucking buy toys and flashy shit. So the only thing that would make sense would be control. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, like, what are the what are the root, you know, draws to money? It's usually like power, girls. I mean, there's not that many. Autonomy. Yeah, yeah, like not having to fucking listen to anybody's shit, like freedom, whatever. Like there's, you know, there's different draws, but at a point you've got freedom like you got 100 million bucks you got freedom like why do you need to go to fucking 500 million you know what i mean like there's points where most people are like okay i'm good right so if your goal was like freedom then you probably stop at 200 million right like so i'm just saying like clearly the the goal was not just that you know he could have easily had freedom and not had to listen to anybody's shit and do whatever the fuck he wanted with a couple hundred million bucks i mean this is in the 80s dude back when a million bucks you were set yeah, like yeah. this isn't now where you know you can't even buy a fucking house for a million bucks like back in the 80s you were set with a million so if he had 200 300 or 400 where the fuck he had you know what i mean like lots of fucking millions like he was past that point but he still was working 18 19 hours a day every fucking day like just grinding wanting to make more you know so it had to be power. What else could it be? I think there's a lot of people that look at your lifestyle and they envy the lifestyle and they want to know how to get the lifestyle. But I think one of the, like you kind of end the book talking about pleasure and happiness. And you talk about some of the happiest moments in your life really had nothing to do with money or material things. And I think like for somebody that's been on top of all these mountains and kind of quote unquote, had it all, had the women, had the money, had the experiences, the jets, all of it. Like what, how do you, how do you think about happiness and how do you think about pleasure? I think that pleasure can be stronger pulses, almost more like a drug. And happiness is more of a consistent thing. It's sustainable. And they come from different places. I think you get happiness from success, from helping other people, from progression, from relationships, from bonds, from spending time with people you like. You get pleasure from most of hedonism you get pleasure from making more money fucking a hot girl getting a fast car like you know having power like there's like a lot of things most of them are like considered sins in the bible and most of them are you know more in the hedonistic category and that's why it's so enticing you know i don't think that there's a fucking devil and this and that but i think these are like symbolic of hedonistic desires that don't lead you to the right place. So I think that you got to be ch careful when you chase the wrong things. That's what I was saying in the book. If you guys want a funny ass book, I literally laughed out loud, especially at the part where you, you guys shoved shit up your ass and steroids, steroids up your ass, not shit up your ass. You shoved steroids up your ass. My friend actually did shit out the steroids. And shit in the kitchen sink with the chicken in the sink. You guys got to read this book. It's so funny. And it's a different perspective. It's fresh. It's raw. It's called The Setup. It's on Amazon. I will put it in my Amazon storefront. Dan, I'm sure people know where to find you, but if they want to find you and they want to check out what you're doing, where is that? The new website, all the things. Yeah, we're going to start a website called uh, Sigma Society. Should be, should be good for these people. What are you going to do? Exactly. Basically, just help them get what they want out of their life. They want to get in better shape. If they want to, you know have better relationships if they want to be able to fuck girls if they Last want longer yeah i mean <laughs> i can i can give advice on a lot of different things you know mindset the whole kind of like perspective having a good routine just you know a lot of things but basically the, the premise of it is 
you fill out a thing, you tell us what you want, and we give you a roadmap to get there. Cool. And where can they, it's, it's called, say what the website is? Sigma Society. Okay, it's not up it, yet, but it'll be it's up. It's not up yet. And if they want to get your Ignite? Those are on the website in the US. And then we're in like, I think 30 countries right now. So Strawberry banana is so cute. It's pink. Yeah. Dan, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate um, you taking the time. You man. guys go check out his book. Today is a huge fucking giveaway, a huge one. We are giving away the entire collection of the Skinny Confidential products. I barely do this, but I did a birthday giveaway and I thought I would extend it to the podcast. All you have to do to win the entire Skinny Confidential collection, and that means an ice roller, pink balls, a razor, my book, driving gloves, the planner, everything, is tell us your favorite part of this episode with Dan on his latest Instagram at Dan Bilzerian. That is at D-A-N-B-L-I-Z-E-R-I-N on Instagram. Then head over to my Instagram at Lauren Bostick and tell me your favorite part of this interview. I want to hear what you guys liked about it. I think there's a lot of gems in it. So at Dan Bilzerian and at Lauren Bostick to win the whole entire Skinny Confidential collection. So easy to win. Go give Dan some love after this episode. That's at Dan Bilzerian to win the entire collection of the Skinny Confidential products. Hope you guys like this episode. We are back on Thursday with a total plot twist from this episode. So stay tuned.